Stitchcraft podcast number 15. That is correct. Uh, mostly we know that because we checked before we started this time. It wasn't a random guess. I, you know, I, I've not been wrong yet. I, I don't think I've been wrong yet. You know. I didn't want to start today. No. I've got Reputation Island. So now I'm going to double check the facts. <laughs> <laughs> you had to keep it up. Um, so we got a little bit of feedback from, um, one of our more recent podcasts that we should identify ourselves for people oh. who don't know us. And that's good feedback. Um, so my name is Island. I live in Iowa City, Iowa, and I am a, primarily a knitter. I'm capable of crocheting, but I would not call it my strongest suit. Um, and then my day job that I actually get paid for is that I'm a psychiatrist and a neuroscientist. All right. My name is Miranda. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But if you've been following, I've kind of lived in a couple places. So Los Angeles, New Orleans, currently Minneapolis. This is where I plan to stay for a bit. Um, I quilt, but also I just really sew. I think overall I sew. I wouldn't say I'm the strongest quilter, um, but it is something that's kind of reinvigorated my like of sewing again. Um, for my day job, I'm a fashion designer. And that always sounds so silly saying that. Like, it I don't think so. It sounds highfalutin. Sometimes when people like meet me, they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, it's not what you think. There's definitely Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> definitely me arguing with someone about the cost of something. It is not sexy. <laughs> not always. <laughs> Uh, but I, I work in kids wear, um, I design denim. That's primarily my background. I've used to do uh, men's denim for a number of brands, I'm currently doing kids denim. Uh, and it's fun. It's really fun. But yeah, my love is, uh, is sewing followed by a lot of repurposing and upcycling. Upcycling, I think is the new word for it, but I'm like, you mean making it last and fixing it? Great. Or loving it more. But yeah, those are those are my skill sets. <laughs> it's actually funny that you would make fun of the word upcycling because I didn't realize that it was a word that um, not everybody liked. I guess I didn't really have a feeling about it. But one of the other podcasts that I listened to is called Double Knit. And one of the women on that podcast is named Erin, and she's a designer as well as a knitter. And um, she had something on one of her... Um, Instagram posts about how much she did not like the word upcycling. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I, I could see how people would uh, not love that as a word. Like, it's it's a way of making it sound like you're doing something different than recycling, recycling <laughs> and repurpose. Well, and I also think that maybe there's a overexposure to the word recycling because I think a lot of people think that if they throw things in the bins that have triangles on them that something magical happens mm -hmm. but there's not effort involved and so there's like this weird thing where I think people are like burnt out on the word recycling so upcycling helps identify something a little bit more exciting and it involves like you doing something physically doing something um but for poor people like us, or who grew up poor, we are, I, I don't want to say we're poor anymore, but for people who grew up poor, 
it's called stuff. It's just things. It's just what we do. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't upcycle. We were poor and we went to thrift shops because that's what we could afford. (laughs) Called, you're about to buy cutoff shorts? Not on my life. You'll make that yourself. (laughs) Better get get them scissors. (laughs) (laughs) You better get to the St. Vincent de Paul. Right? Mm -hmm. So, yes. I have. I also have to add this only because it reminds me of the word. But since there is some like people out there who are like, "Boo, upcycling!" I'm just gonna say it again. I said it before in an earlier podcast. People who say bone broth, eat shit and die. Stop it. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> no one can see my sister laugh right now, but please just fell over and died about this one because it makes me angry. Like. Your grandma didn't call it bone broth. And if she did, her mother slapped her silly too. <laughs> you mean stock? It's stock. <laughs> but go ahead, put it in a package next to the stock and call it bone broth and charge me $3 more. Go ahead. <laughs> or open a shop where you sell it warm. Cool microwave, dude. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> eat shit all of you. This is where I'm like, get off my lawn. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. I mean, I hear you. I hear you. And I don't also, I would never correct a friend. Anyone who tells me that they're like, I love bone broth and stuff. Like, of course I'm going to listen because I want to know like, oh, did you make your own? Cool. What's your recipe? What's your you know flavoring? Or did you buy it? Why? <laughs> That's really what I want to know. Why? But I digress. The point is I would never correct anybody. And maybe this is the Minnesota nice coming out in me real strong. Oh, I've already it said is. But it's, you know, this is the one pet peeve. I'm just going to have a platform. It's coming out. <laughs> it's funny that you would say that you would never correct anybody because I would immediately correct somebody because I'm a terrible person. <laughs> I would like, and I wouldn't correct. That's, the, that's the, the worst part is that I would say something like bone broth. I don't, is that stock? Is that what you mean? Oh. Because <laughs> I'm an asshole. <laughs> I heard that there's a new, like, meme phrase for when you question people. And you're like, educate me. Tell me stuff I don't know. And it's like a, it's a weird, like, uh, trick of some kind. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do that a lot. Note to self, I need to slow that down. I definitely got into an, not an argument. I acted real dumb with a flat earther. Which and is I, saying something. Like, how do you act dumb with a flat earther? Well, and I was just like, you know, this is a rare opportunity. Tell me what you believe. Tell me what you've heard. Like, oh my gosh. Like, tell me. Because it's not like that I'm going to let them in. But I definitely don't want to not understand them and isolate them out of my life further. Like, alienate them further. Right? So I'm trying to, like, have some empathy. But at the same time, Adam, I'm at a bar at a fundraiser. I'm getting wasted. I'm like, ooh, what have you heard? <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, my boyfriend got into, my boyfriend was really upset because he didn't catch on to what I was doing. And he was like, you are sitting here believing this? Like, I, and I was like, no, I'm not. I'm just asking. And he was like, why are you even letting them? Like, well, and I was like, because it's funny and it's really interesting. And I, I just read about this on the internet. I just want to understand it firsthand. Like, these are nice people. Let's find out. So weird. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, Venus is round. We can see that. 
then Mars is round, we can see that. But nobody's ever proven that the Earth is round. And you're like, uh, aside from everybody who proved it. Besides gravity. What, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I don't. Uh, anyways, I'm sorry. I d totally, totally took that another place. Sorry, upcycling. Sorry, bone broth. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. You just lumped together upcycling, bone broth, and flat earthers as if that's like all one pool of people. Maybe it is. There might be someone out there. You don't, you know, we don't know. You don't know until you know. But, and I'll uh, pass on that. I mean, I don't want to find out. I don't want to go look for it. But, anyways. <laughs> and why are why are we digressing? Because it's time. Hey, what's in our cups? Because we're already on beer number two. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I like also no one can see this, but Island had a was raising her drink nice and slow, so that the camera would just catch the tippy top of it. And I was like, it's time. Mm -hmm. What's in your cup? And you you got a cup today. What is it, girl? It's true. I actually have a cup this time. Um, but I only have a cup because uh, the beer that I'm having is in a um, tall boy. And I didn't mm. really want to have the whole... I don't like when my beer gets warm, which I think is probably true for most people. And so... <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. That, yeah. Most people don't like that. Um, but the... Uh, the other thing is that the beer itself has a lot of aroma and I, you don't really get that if you drink it straight out of the can. So I put the can inside a koozie and I'm dispensing it to myself in a glass. Um, excuse me. So the beer that I am having is a lovely gift from a new friend and coworker who is himself a uh, brewer Cool. Um, and I did not ask him if I could say his name on the air, so I'm not going to. But yeah, he's a coworker of mine, and um, he pre-traded me some beers that he had from his collection, so that when I go home to Michigan, I will pick up some things for him that don't get exported out of the state of Michigan. Cool. Um, so what he gave me as a pre-trade is from uh, Trillium Brewing in Massachusetts. And what I'm having now is their scaled way up double IPA. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's super nice. Um, so I looked up the description online because I am not a, I'm not a beer aficionado. Like I obviously enjoy it, but I am not the sort of person. It's like me and wine. Like people will say like, oh, I get a, a scent of, of tobacco and a little bit of bourbon and like some dark fruit. I'm like, eh. I didn't pick all those things up, um, but <laughs> uh, berries and the farmhouse. Yeah, I got it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So uh, scaled way up is um, dry hopped and it does have a lot of like fruitiness to it, even though I wouldn't say it's not a fruit beer. Like it is not brewed oh, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. It's not brewed with fruit. Um but it's definitely a little bit sweet. Um, and it's got some like resiny piney flavors, which are really nice. And the scent is more fruity than it is floral. Like, you know how sometimes IPAs can go toward a floral side, which I also really enjoy. This is definitely more fruity. Um, and I am, I'm really enjoying it, particularly the scent of it. Like the scent is... Did 
almost like orange juice. <laughs> awesome. I wonder what kind of hops it is. Do they say it's citra or anything like a certain kind? So of interestingly, hops? they do exactly. They say exactly what kind of hops they are, and it's not citra. The Ooh. hops are Galaxy, Mosaic, and Nelson Sauvin. Um, and then the in the actual listing, they also add Columbus, which I'm not familiar with. Columbus Gal- hops. Galaxy sounds familiar. That seems pretty popular as a Yeah, person. Galaxy and Mosaic both. I've had beers that were really heavy, Galaxy and Mosaic. I've, mm-hmm. I don't, if I've ever had a beer that had um, Nelson Sauvin, I didn't know. Um, but this is definitely, like I said, very much on the um, almost like juicy end without being a, um, like, you know, the new, more uh, like unfiltered IPAs that I've really been enjoying. Um, this definitely has that kind of scent Feel. to it. Yeah. Nice. Sorry, don't mean to cut you off or, or finish your sentence. I'm just like, ooh, that's awesome. And I have to admit that double IPAs always kind of, they used to creep me out just because IPAs were so flavorful and so bananas that I was just like, oh, I can't. And so the idea of a double IPA just felt like it was going to hurt, you know, mm-hmm. as far as alcohol and flavor profiles and drinkability and like I don't know I'm I'm leaning more and more towards more drinkable beers I still like IPAs but I just like one two I can't have a whole night like I used to no so that's why double IPAs I'm like okay one (laughs) exactly it's cool that you're saying like the flavor profile is more like juicy because I just think that is enticing and that's like a great it's not a palate wrecker, you know, it's not going to be like skunk city. So I kind of, that sounded really good. And I was like, Oh, word. Sometimes you just want one really good beer. Yeah. You don't want a night of beers. You just want a beer. (laughs) And that sounds like one of those. That's great. Yeah. And I also think it's really nice if you're somebody who um, has tried IPAs and they do seem a little much for you. It sounds weird to say this, but I find that uh, double IPAs are gentler flavor wise like you said, then straightforward IPAs. Um, they're definitely stronger. They tend to be higher alcohol content, so you don't want to have lots and lots of them. But if you want to start a foray into, because a lot of the flavor, like a lot of the flavors of beer in general, I would say this is true for wine as well. Um, a lot of the flavors that people who are really into those uh, types of alcohols really enjoy are the things that the very first time you have them, they are not a appealing. And I would say the same thing about tea, you know, like when people give you like a really, when you go, you go to a restaurant and get like a really nice pu'er tea. If you're not a tea drinker, you're just like, oh my God, what is this shit? <laughs> um, but if you start off gently and like ease yourself into the flavor profiles that tea has to offer, eventually you will get to the point where you can appreciate those things when they happen. Same is true for spicy food. And I think the same is true for really hoppy beers. And the double IPAs actually are more palatable, I think, than the single IPAs often. Well, and also like there's like some mental preparation that comes with the double IPA. Generally, they serve you small. So if yep. you're at, you get a much smaller pour or sorry, it's an eight ounce pour generally, but eight to 10 ounce, but they will, they kind of warm, warm you up to the idea that like, hey, enjoy this. This is not to be guzzled. This is not to be quickly finished, you know? And I think that once you realize like, oh, I'm going to enjoy this like a wine almost, 
there's a difference, mm -hmm. you know? Same with port. You would never drink port fast. Cool. No. So, I digress. But what are you having? Well, I, I, it's a fan favorite, and I say fan favorite as in you and I. <laughs> people, don't spit your beer out. <laughs> savor it, I will savor it. What are we just saying? Um, no, a number of people have heard about it already, but you know, now that I do live so close to my dad in Wisconsin, and just proximity to Wisconsin, I'm having New Glarus Spotted Cow. Which, for those who don't know, because I realize that we just say spotted cow, and then we're like, end scene. It's done. That's it. That's all you need to know. But I was reading the candidate, and I don't normally take the time to read. Because, you know, time. And brains. Smarts. Okay. So I was reading the can today. I didn't even realize it was a farmhouse ale. I assumed it was a wheat. That's what we've always been, t like, whenever you go to a restaurant and it's on tap, and you ask somebody what it is, or you look on the menu, it was previously always described as a wheat ale. I think because farmhouse ales were not, nobody would know what that meant five years right. ago. And then as I read it today, it says um, it's a farmhouse ale brewed with flaked barley and the finest Wisconsin malts. We even give a nod to our farmers. Naturally cloudy, we allow the yeast to remain in the bottle to enhance fullness of flavors, which cannot be duplicated otherwise. I was like, oh, word. Well, you're delicious. That's all I care about. And I buy many, 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 many packs of cans only because, did y'all know that cans recycle much better than glass? I'm trying to like switch that over. I'm trying to like really go out of my way to, to purchase cans. Yeah, that's a big thing. But luckily Spotted Cow in the last like three years have moved over to cans. Mm -hmm. And Lightning Kugel has also done that and has, um, uh, has always done that. Like a number of Wisconsin breweries and stuff, they're kind of focusing on cans more and more instead of glass. And if you're also an Oscar Blues fan out of uh, Colorado, they've always done that, which is kind of badass and pretty great. They've kind of led the way. So, and I think Surly Brewing only does cans as well. So everyone's getting a little bit wiser to it, you know? Serve it in the glass, sure, but buy the can. It's easier. Yeah. yeah well, and I think the thing that I like the most about... Um, spotted cow is that it is like the can says like it's it's really flavorful without being very high gravity so you can have a couple and not be a mess um, right. and differently from other now that I know that it's not a wheat beer I feel like this isn't so strange but when I thought it was a wheat beer it was strange to me how crisp it was because I always think of wheat beers as being maltier and um, I don't know how to describe it like more spicy rather mm -hmm. than crisp, um, whereas new, the Spotted Cow has always had that almost like a lemony type of brightness. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, there's a reason that I think you can drink, not a lot, but you can drink a number of them and just be like, word, I can keep going. I can have something to eat. It doesn't like bite things. It doesn't ruin the flavors of other things. Um, and it's not super, yeah, alcoholic. So it doesn't like sit with you for a long time or like I don't know it's, it's good it is a very drinkable beer um I was reading a I was reading something about a local brewery slash restaurant here in town and it's a woman who does the who is the major brewmaster there and I guess one of her beers was so loved here in Minneapolis that they were like it's the perfect lawnmower beer and I was like, what? I, like, I had to think about it, but I'm like, it, a lawnmower beer is a very particular thing. 
You got heavy machinery. It's hot. You outside. It's the weekend. Can you have a beer? They're going to say no, but you could have this one. You know, like there's, I was just like, weird. Okay. I love that someone like with all the excitement around certain types of beers right now, I think, you know, like especially here in Minneapolis, sours are really popular again right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was really exciting to see them applaud a regular beer, a normal ass beer. <laughs> <laughs> Going on from what's in our cup or in our cans, God bless. Um, what's on your docket? What's on your uh, to-do list? What's your works in progress? The only thing that I am actively working on, like in the middle of working on uh, consistently is that Edie t-shirt that I mentioned. I've been mentioning for like weeks. Um, so I still love it. It's still beautiful, but because it has the cables on the front, it just takes some time. Um, and it is, you know, yet again and perpetually grant writing season. So it's hard for me to um, take the time to sit down and look at all the yarn that I have or all of the projects that I want to make and plan it out so that I can get it started. Um, so when I come home at the end of the day, I want to knit something that I know that I have the materials handy, I know what needs to be done, and I can just work on that without having to think really, really hard about whether or not I need to make a gauge swatch and wash it and measure it or do any other prep work, right? I don't really want to be doing prep work. I just want to be making something. And that t-shirt is already in process. So I know what needs to be done. Um, However, I did get the new pom-pom quarterly. Hello. Hello. And this is their summer stripes issue. So it's their summer issue. And the theme for this one is stripes. Nice. Because um, it's also striped images. <laughs> I mean, anybody who's listened to this podcast ever knows that I am borderline obsessed with this publication. So um, I have not had a chance to look through the whole magazine but I did look at the previews online for the patterns that are in here. And as usual, it is gorgeous. And I want to make many, many of the things, but I think the thing that is tops on my list is they have a pattern for a bag that is very much like that bag that you bought at spun in an Arbor, the canvas one that is like a, Uh, it's a bench. They call them bento bags because it's self-tying. Yeah. So that's the... Oh, cute. So for people listening, I just realized I just went, oh, cute, and didn't describe what. But it's kind of like a more of a... um, It kind of... I'm trying to think of the best way of putting it. It's two triangles come together. And I see two two triangles. But they're in a square formation. It's like two right triangles, you know, the, the heavy sides to the bottom, they're, you know, making 90 degree angles. So it looks like a square when you lay out two triangles, right? However, when you tie the ends, which are the top of the triangles, it makes the bag look like kind of a trapezoid shape. It's really cute. It's really easy to make. And it's a really strong bag when you're making them out of like a woven material. And um, it's called a bento bag because a lot of uh, people have used that in many cultures to tie things up really easily before 
you know, the, our obsession with paper and uh, plastic bags. So it's pretty cute. So in the description, it says that it's shaped like the traditional Japanese lunch bag, Azuma Bukuru or Bento bag. Um, and it is, so I've, since Miranda bought that bag at um, Spun in Ann Arbor, which is a yarn shop in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I love that bag. I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any compelling reason to buy it at the time, but I've always loved that shape. I think the structure is really cool. I think the look of it is really cool because it is essentially a, a very formal geometric shape that becomes something more organic. And I just, I've always liked that. I've always liked the idea of having those like uh, very rigid geometric shapes in organic objects. I don't know why that's just my jam. I also think that it's a clever reinforced design because the two triangles uh, double up over the base, you know, when you're putting it together and it allows for a really strong design, a really flexible design because it fits a lot of things or becomes real small. And I think someone said the best design, I say someone, you mean every teacher, every artist everywhere, the best designs are the least designed. And it's something very easy and beautiful to understand. And you can make it very cool and compelling with different colors, different fabric, you know, and it's just useful. It kind of makes you want to like kind of get rid of the idea of extra bags lying around. It's kind of great. Yeah. And I think what I um, really like about this one is that, you know, it's the two triangles like you described and what they've done with this design. So the designer is uh, Leah Moya, M-O-Y-A, and the name of the pattern is Judoka, J-U-D-O-K-A. So what she did was that she um, took the um, triangles and made the triangles striped with different colors of yarn. So you get two levels of geometry in the pattern, which makes it look very striking um, and like you say, it can be, it, it turns out that the capacity of the bag is much larger than it looks when you first just look at the pattern lying flat. Um, because once you open it up, it can hold a lot more than it looks like it can. And when it's empty, it folds down to a really tiny, um, little bundle. So you can carry it with you really easily. Um, this one is made in cotton, which is nice because um, the cotton is um, kind of, it, it has a lot of structure. You know, cotton tends to be highly structured. Um, and yeah, I don't know how to describe it any better than that, then it, it will kind of hold its structure a bit, unlike other, other fibers can kind of, um, like wool will stretch out, which is one of the wonderful things about it. Like when you make a sweater with wool, it has a lot of memory. So it will stretch when you bend your arms and then snap back into shape when you relax them. Whereas the cotton just holds its shape. It doesn't have a lot of stretch to it. Um, and I don't like that in a sweater, but I want that in a bag. I want the bag to retain its shape. To be resilient. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about that because I actually have... Um, some yarn that I bought a long time ago. Um, you remember when sort of uh, pale washes of color 
were really big. I want to say it was maybe like four years ago where like in fashion, pale washes of color were like the mm-hmm. thing. Cotton doesn't take dye as well as wool does often. Mm-hmm. And so the colors tend to be that sort of like nice light wash of color. And I bought a bunch of skeins of cotton. Um, but I don't like sweaters in cotton. And I don't like t-shirts in cotton. So Definitely <laughs> box of cotton. <laughs> oh, God, no. So I... Uh, I bought it and it's beautiful, but I didn't make anything with it. And now I have a pattern for a bento bag and I'm super excited. So that's, that's, that's you've actually inspired me to like, I should sew up a few bento bags of scraps that I have lying around. Oh my God. You should with all the like denim scraps you have. Ah, Oh, for sure. My game plan was, and I have so much denim scraps just from previous samples and old things that have been tossed aside and you know i kind of collect that stuff um work funny enough at work where i do design denim i don't do shirts i don't do that kind of stuff i only have like heavier weight denim and the best thing for the bento bags are things that are a little bit more collapsible like a shirting weight so i'll just probably head to a a goodwill if i'm if i'm running low and i'll just grab a bunch of shirts for cheap so especially goodwill outlets top tip y'all Goodwill outlets by the pound. What? So, yeah. I mean, you got to dig. Lord knows what you find. Might have a match for that shoe. You don't know. But um, no, Goodwill outlets are amazing for that. So whenever you need like certain scraps and ideas, like, like I really don't want to spend as much money. <laughs> also, ooh, I can't believe this has hit me now. Thank you, Spotted Cow, for jogging my memory, as in that is an alcohol. Um, old sheets. Old sheets that have like a little bit of a tear in them or where like you can make those into bento bags real quick um because bento bags aren't going to be carrying groceries they're not going to be carrying giant heavy weight things you can have some older softer fabrics in it it's totally okay yeah and i really like the bento bag look for a purse honestly so um when you tie up the top of a bento bag you can just tie it into a knot and it kind of looks almost like that um hobo bag style Mm -hmm. because when you put stuff in it it'll like you know round out the bottom a little bit and then the top you can tie into like a really cute little not a bow with um loops in it but just like a simple knot like the way you would tie a scarf to make it like a pretty knot you can do that with the tops of the bento bag um and just carry you know your wallet and your keys and your lip balm and it's cute for um, when we post this episode, we'll take photos of our the bento bags we're talking about, just so that everyone can kind of witness and see what we're talking about. Um, we'll post both the pattern from Pom Pom Quarterly that you can knit in um, mostly cotton yarns. Or, or linen. I think linen or, would be really cool for it, too. Ew. Oh, sorry. Jinx. Um, and then I'll also take a photo of the cotton bento bag that I got from Spun. I think that'll just make it real clear what it is, what it does. But it's a great idea, especially if you're not a big sewer. Oh, it's so easy. This is a good one. You could even hand sew this. Well, and here's the other thing, right? So I'm a terrible sewist. I mean, like, real bad. And I tend to um, misjudge my seam allowance, and I tend to misjudge a wide variety of things when I'm sewing. We'll just be honest. Like, my hand stitching is for shit, and my, my intuition is bad. And the best thing about the bento bag, right, is if you um, don't measure it 
exactly perfectly, you'll still end up with a bento bag. You'll Unlike still... a dress where if you mess up your seam allowance, now your dress is two sizes too small and it's not for you anymore. <laughs> Surprise. It's, it's not. No. Bento bags make bento bags. Mm-hmm. Not too much. But, yeah. you know, challenge accepted to anybody out there. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, and also, my last little plug for the bento bag is that when I, I bring my lunch to work, maybe the goal is every day, but it's probably once to twice a week right now, um, just depending on, like, my time and stuff. But uh, it's, it's not nearly as much as I want. But because I'm one of those people who are like, I don't like plastic containers, and I have glass containers, and I have this, that also means I have glass containers in all these weird sizes and stuff. When you have a bento bag and you can tie it shut, it actually helps hold all your things together much better than, say, a Ziploc or a paper bag that is a little bit more squared or con- in a consistent format. Like, bento bags allow you to make it tight. There's tension that you can play with, and it fits a lot of different things. So I do like that a lot. It just allows things to be a little bit more um, secured. And be- excuse me, because I bike to work, I kind of need things a little bit more secured. I did have the Exxon Valdez of coffee spills the other day. Oh. Never, never again will I rush that one. Oh, but <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that come with a biking commute. But I imagine anyone would appreciate it. True. So, what is on your list of things that you're working on? All right, um, I have a couple things happening. I kind of ebb and flow with doing absolutely nothing because work is crazy. Um, and I say work is crazy in the sense that I sign up for it to be crazy. There's someone somewhere who's just loving their lives and piecing their day out easily, hitting their deadlines. And That's I'm a not dead- me. <laughs> but I just, as far as workload, I'm like, oh, I want to overthink this until I can't think anymore. Oh, no. Um, my analysis paralysis is real. <laughs> but anyways, um, so right now I am currently um, sewing on my on my jeans. I have a number of jeans that blew out in the thighs. Many many people will will say that this is a real thing, and a lot of people throw away their jeans. This is an opportunity for me to try to save it. It doesn't always work. I'm not saying I'm a master, but there is definitely ways that you can uh, fix your jeans in the thigh. You can reinforce them. I've reinforced a number of pairs of jeans and they've they've done okay, but sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't fix it. If the fabric is not flexible enough or the sewing that you did on the patches isn't flexible enough, you might still wind up where you are. Everything has to kind of move and shake together. And I don't know until after I do the repair, how good and flexible the repair is. So, um, but you know, it's a risk worth taking because I literally think about these jeans that I'm missing out of my wardrobe. Every day, every day I go, I want these and this would be perfect for this and I won't fix them because I'm like, I'm too busy. I got something else to do, but I will just think about them like ex-lovers. Just come back to me. Come back to me, jeggings. Come back to me, thigh stretch leggings. Do it. Oh my God. Yeah. So I'm bad. I'm bad news bears about it. But anyway, I'm one of those people that I'm like, the minute you fix what's really ailing you, and get on with your life. And I think this will be a major milestone when I get on with my life because I had moved to Minneapolis in January and it was around the first month in, I was mid-February, 
I had walked so much because I was living in a hotel and walking about a mile and a half to work um, twice a day that I blew out these thighs on two pairs of beloved jeans that are also very stretchy and great and they're from Gap and they're not special and I'm not going to act like I'm a jean, like, I'm not a denim, like the denim dudes or the denim dudettes. I'm not, I'm not this like person who's going to die in a sort of denim, even though I'm a part of that world. And these are just basic ass jeans from Gap that I just like because they fit and they're great. And they totally blew out. So anyways, um, I've been thinking about them since February. <sighs> yeah, so I'm currently patching those up right now. Um, and I'm actually, I just hand sew on my patches first. I like to set them with uh, a fusible, like stitch witchery, or I really actually like something better than that, but that's what I have in the house. Um, I like stronger glues if possible like usable, usables um like but give I, an example because stitch witchery is the only one i know of stitch witchery is pretty popular there's also but when you can get sheets of glue by pellon p-e-l-l-o-n that's the they got the lockdown on uh fusible interfacings fusible um like glues for things like it's beyond interfacings but it's also a lot of like glues and things for crafts and for the listeners at home, what is an interfacing? Oh, sorry. <laughs> so if you've ever had a woven shirt, um, your collar has an interfacing in it. It's literally a hidden fabric. It's the interface between your two pieces of fabric that make a collar. Um, it is the fabric that stabilizes and allows that collar not to fold in on itself as it gets worn and soft with time. So interfacing is the unsung hero of clothing if there's ever a shirt that you bought that you love and it's the one that you barely have to iron or it's the one that you just have to like hang up and go they're interfacing in there somewhere somehow somewhere um unless it's like a t-shirt dress or something like that but i'm saying like a woven dress shirt or any kind of like a woven dress that has a little bit of construction to it anything that's constructed so like or your like, collars and your cuffs. Right. And it also provides strength. So besides making sure that your fabrics kind of fold and, and fall where they need to to make a collar look presentable, it also is the thing that helps make your buttonholes really strong and not tear. Oh. If you put buttonholes on just fabric alone, they would tear. Easy. I, like when you create a buttonhole, you're wrapping a uh, sewing thread around a hole, at, like a it's literally finishing off a hole. If you don't have interfacing in there, it'll just rip. There's just no ways about it. It's just gonna happen. Um, unless you have a really heavy fabric like denim, but for the most part, interfacing is necessary on a lot of lighter weight fabrics. So also a little, I'm gonna put out a, something that's gonna make me sound real old. And um, I hope some of our older listeners, and I say that lovingly, will remember this. Um, Interfacing is also what created, this is, sounds so weird. When you look up, when you look back in time and you think about Abercrombie and Fitch, and you think about the cargos and the polos and all their shirts that were just like beautifully rumpled and just had such amazing like vintage look and feel that everyone in the world tried to copy. It involved an interfacing that shrunk at a higher percentage than the top materials in which you see of the short. So they played up 
interfacing. And interfacing can be a woven, it can be a non-woven, which is like, you know, something that's meshed together or uh, felted together. There's a lot of different ways of doing it, but it's essentially, it's a hidden layer of fabric of some kind or some kind of material. And some interfacings don't move or change at all, which is the majority of what interfacings do. But some you play up and you make sure that they scrunch up and you, oh, you shit. yeah, surprise. There's a surprise. Abercrombie was clever. Yeah, no. So Abercrombie was great. They had interfacings. Some, it was a cotton, a very cotton loose weave that upon being, you know, heated like in a wash and then dried on high heat, it would shrink up much more than the top cloth would. Plus they had seam allowance that was super tight that again, helped like really highlight that kind of wear. Someone engineered that. Like th this is the unsung. That was like engineered to the nines. Uh, like that's ridiculous. It is. It's absolutely is. And I mean, I bought in my career countless Abercrombie Fitch cargos and I would cut them apart and iron out the pieces to figure out how tight that seam tension was, to figure out what materials was in there, how much of that fabric like shrank down, like craziness. But it is engineering. And that's kind of the thing of designers that I think a lot of people don't realize is like, there's a lot of problem solving and uh, mystery finding. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. So anyways, I, I, I'm totally going on a tangent here, but interfacings change your world. They make your product real, they make it soft, and but still, uh, they make your product that's already soft, it makes it uh, consistent. It allows you to kind of go through the process of enjoying your garment longer because it's gonna lay where it needs to lay. It's gonna make a collar fold where it needs to lay. We've all had a couple things from other places that are real cheap that we find out later was not worth the cost because upon hitting water, they change. But interfacings allow those things to stay put and stay stronger and uh, fit you better. So uh, anyways, uh, the more you know. Where's my, my star and rainbow? Um, <laughs> I'll admit, I just, I have no idea where I'm going with uh, the interfacing thing. I, I, I asked about it. I was, I was the oh, one yeah. who interrupted you. Sorry, because I was talking about fusible glues. And I was yes. using fusibles as how I like to attach my patches. I usually take denim, stretch denim, that's a comparable stretch to the already jeans, like stretchy jeans that I'm repairing. And I like to not, I mean, it depends. Sometimes I'll wash them, sometimes I won't, just because I have to think about how it's going to stretch in those same areas where there's a lot of tension before. But uh, yeah, I like to I like to fix them with glue first, usually a, you know, a fusible glue so it doesn't, you know, come on too strong like the liquid glue. And then I hand sew essentially what do we call that um based i base stitch things down just to hold them in place before i go over in the machine and uh darn them uh so i'm doing that i'm repairing some jeans right now that i love praying that i can figure them out and that they'll become favorites again sometimes it happens sometimes it don't and um what else am i working on i met with a friend who i'm making a baby quilt for i kind of like let the cat out of the bag and told her like, Hey, I'm making a baby quilt. <laughs> like I just kind of let it out there because she was over here using my sewing machine to make some curtains for her baby's room. And normally I like to beat that, you know, beat the baby arrival with an actual baby blanket, but things, you know, don't always turn out to plan. 
she'll still use a baby blanket. So I helped her. Yeah, the baby uh, is not going to stop being a baby tomorrow. <laughs> You'll have time for that blanket. Guarantee that baby's going to use this blanket for a while. So I actually showed my friend what I was going to use, the knit materials I was going to use. And I told her, I was like, this is a challenge. I've never quilted with knit materials. So that at least I threw that out there and told her that I wasn't a terrible friend for forgetting a baby gift. It's just the challenge that's been tough. Um, and lastly, the thing that has been really on my mind and been working on and I've completed, I hosted a Girl Scout troop for work. And I am not a Girl Scout troop leader by any means, not at all. It was just someone at work was like, hey, my nine-year-old daughter has a troop. It's their last troop meeting. Would you guys be willing here at Target to have them come in and learn about what you guys do? They just, they're just excited to talk to designers and to people who do fun things. And I was like, sure, great. And our whole team in Cat and Jack uh, Girls, we all agreed to it. But I kind of, I might have just, forced myself on this a little bit more, but I was like, great, this is a great denim <laughs> idea. And everyone was like, what? And I was like, well, it's summertime. Let's show these girls how to make cutoff shorts. Like it's, you're never too early to learn. So uh, all the girls brought in jeans. Um, a lot of girls don't wear jeans at all. I'm just gonna be real. They, they haven't had to go through the, the trouble of wearing jeans because the leggings are, leggings are pants now. We just mm-hmm. have to, um, so. Ugh brought in whatever they could. They brought in t-shirts, jackets, whatever. And I showed them all how to customize their pieces. Like I helped put together some, a splatter paint section. Like yes. I took a, yeah. Um, I had acrylic paint. I, you know, talked to them about how I added a fabric medium in it to help them be like a little bit drippier so you can splatter with it. We also did sponge paint. We did um, embroidery. One of my coworkers uh, was awesome, and she kind of led the embroidery section. Was so thankful. She's really good at it. She got all these girls to sew uh, whip stitches on hems and stuff. It was really cool. And then we also had, like, a patch station. You could either fabric glue them or one of my other coworkers helped iron them on. I was, like, so beyond thankful to have so much help with that. Um, and it's also, like, it was a team event, but I think I kind of – because I was like, oh, we can do all this stuff. And everyone else is like, we don't know how to do that. But I was like, oh, whoops. Note to self, bring people along for the journey sooner kind of thing. But uh, it was great. These like, we had like, I think we had 13 girls total. So it was a little bit of madness. But nine to 10 year olds, very cool, very nice and super creative. I learned a lot just about like what they think is cool, where they like to see art and just watching all these girls make stuff. And at the end of the day, I asked them, I was like, do you guys think you can show your friends how to make this stuff? And they're all like, yeah, yeah, we could. And I was like, all right, good. We're, we're solid here. Like, that's the whole point is like, can you do this someplace else other than here? You can? Great. Um, so it was really cool. It was really it great. It like was a lot of fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. It was, it took a lot of time to get organized because I had to think, I had to think about things differently. I had to really put myself in a place of like, I got two hours. What can I do with these girls? for two hours. And also how can I send them home with stuff that's not hundred percent finished? Like, so that their parents can help heat set the paint, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like how they, you know, do things. I had to think about it a little differently, but it was really cool. It was really fun, really rewarding. So, so did you find those techniques in like a textbook or online or how did you figure that out? Is it stuff that you learned in school? 
Um, it's some stuff that I learned in school. It's also like we just talked as a team about like, what have we done before? You know, but I think we've all kind of learned at a summer camp or we learned it in school, in fashion school kind of thing. Like you could apply this or do this. Or um, there is definitely been a lot more interest in Pinterest showing us how to do things. And I even had to go back and think about, I would naturally just have done acrylic paint on its own and knowing that you can heat set acrylic paint. But I feel like it's been so long since I've touched acrylic paint that I don't know if formulas are different now than they were when I was in college. And I feel like you can't buy a Crayola marker now that isn't really washable. Yeah. When we were younger, there was a difference between Crayola markers and Crayola washable. Markers. That is true. And the washable markers sucked. They still sucked. They were watery and terrible. They <laughs> terrible. And they would all blend into each other and you'd ruin your tip. Oh, forget about it. You put apricot near a purple, you're done. It's ruined. So it's just a different world, you know? So I naturally wanted to like go back to what I knew. And then I was like, mm, I'm going to double check this. And I was really happy that I found like a couple of options as far as adding fabric medium to help secure the acrylic paint. Nice. So, so maybe we, on our website, on the show notes, we can put up a link to the things that you found either on Pinterest or where else, wherever else. I definitely can. Um, and just shout out to uh, my old homegirl, Martha Stewart. Your fabric medium girl, best one on the market. Nice. <laughs> Added that to cheap acrylic paint. Surprise, it worked. Um, awesome. Yeah, Martha forever. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of like my, my big things. I didn't expect to consider the Girl Scout event one of my things on my creative, you know, to do list, but it turned out to be a labor of love. And I got to test all the ideas that I had on jeans at the home before, like at the house before I met up with the girls and everything. So yeah, those are my, some, those are some ideas some projects I was working on. Well, and I saw the photos of the things that were made as part of that project. And it, to me, the stuff that they made didn't look like it was made by little kids. Like it looked high quality. I think they just needed to see that they could do it. Mm -hmm. I just think they needed to see that they could, uh, like, you know, I made a, a station for splatter paint. You know, I was really lucky. I was talking to my boyfriend about it. I was doing it at home. And he's like, you know what? I think what you need is a clear plastic shower curtain. And what did I buy for 25 cents at a at a um, yard sale the week before? An Ikea shower curtain still in the, in the container. I was like, perfect. Got it. But I was able to like, you know, splatter paint works really great with certain direction so and and showing the girls like if you're standing up it's going to work a little better that changes it you know and giving them space to do it mm -hmm. also a thing but yeah. it was really cute showing the girls how to splatter paint i was like guess what we're going to do it like this it's a little flick of the wrist not a shake of the arm and so everyone i was like i was like can everyone do that with me and it was the cutest thing to see everyone go like this with their with their wrists like just a little a little floppy wrist and I was like and not like a rodeo right and the girls were like shaking their arms really big and I was like yeah we ain't doing that what did I, do? I shook my arm like a fucking rodeo and I got paint on myself and in my hair <laughs> like that's what you not do I was just like gosh how did I do that already I was just moving quickly and I was like oh I didn't think <laughs> it was like that <laughs> so the girls laughed pretty hard I was like yeah I got more paint on me than on the jeans surprise <laughs> So this is what we aren't going to do. Yeah. Oh, I was such a bad, it was pretty funny. 
It was pretty funny. But I had a really good time with the girls. So overall, pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, now on to Gold Star. Everyone's favorite part is the Gold Star because who knows what you're going to say? Who knows? All right. My Gold Star. I'm going to give a shout out to Minneapolis and their bike trails and their bike culture and their support in everyone being a cyclist. I am, you know, I'm just amazed. I've lived here 11 years ago and then I, you know, recently come back. I saw people in January biking to work. Like, I was impressed. And I biked to work too when I was, you know, here 11 years ago because I was a stronger individual. But um, <laughs> not in this kind of weather. We had a very wet winter, which means a lot of snow. And I saw people with big fat tire bikes, which again, weren't a thing 11 years ago, but here they are. Like everyone is just out and about. And, you know, six weeks from our last blizzard, <laughs> it's 95 degrees here today. And I went out on the trails with um, my boyfriend and we could go so far from Northeast Minneapolis all the way to the lakes with barely touching a car, barely seeing a car. It is just another world up here. And it makes trying a new lifestyle option easy. And I can never think of people enough that have worked hard on behalf of you know city council meetings and fundraising and volunteers that have helped make these trails happen but it's different it's it's if people believe in it people will continue to pay for it and it's really cool here i also will say that we had some friends visiting um from new orleans they came up for 24 hours they flew up from new orleans on wednesday and they bought over 100 bikes from one of the bike shops here in town called recovery and recovery bicycles is awesome. It's a great place to get parts. It's a great place to, you know, buy a new bike or a used bike or whatever. It's just a great uh, community outreach program slash bike shop. And it just says so much about our culture that someone would come all the way up from New Orleans because the bikes are better here and buy so many of them and take them back down to New Orleans. I was like, wow, that just says how strong that culture is here. So it's pretty cool. And it's a small world, you know, like the fact that my boyfriend knew these people from New Orleans and knew the head mechanic at recovery and, you know, her and everybody else there. It was really cool. So it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing. So yeah, that's my, my gold star biking Minneapolis nice. and yours. Well, I would say I'll give an honorable mention to biking in Iowa city, Iowa. So, um, it has come a long way since I lived here as a grad student, uh, where I got pulled over on a bicycle <laughs> when I was in grad school. I got pulled no. over. Uh, I did. Um, I was biking to work. So I used to live on uh, the east side of downtown Iowa City, and Iowa City is divided by the Iowa River. Um, so on the east side of the river is the main town and um, a lot of residential areas. And then on the west side of the river is the hospital campus and the medical school campus. So I lived in a, a farmhouse, basically, like a very like a hundred year old farmhouse on the east side of the river. So I would bike down to the river. <laughs> I actually had a 
I had to bike uphill both ways for reals. Like I would come down the hill from my house to the river and then up to go to medical school. And then on the way home, down the hill from medical school to the river and then up the hill back to the house. Anyway, so um, when I was in grad school, I got pulled over on my bike by a bicycle cop. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Because Iowa City used to have and still does have uh, pretty strict rules about where in the city you can bike on the sidewalk and where you must bike on the streets. And when I lived here 10 years ago, the places that you were supposed to bike on the streets didn't have bike lanes. So they expected you to ride with the people on their work commute in their cars. It was a nightmare. One of the most, I think people think that biking at night is really dangerous. I think biking during uh, commutes are really dangerous. It's the worst. People are paying awful. They're really not. They're just trying to get to work. They're very, you know, I get it. I totally get it, but it's really dangerous. Yeah, it so, made me it made me way too nervous because there was no way I could bike fast enough to keep up with the cars. So I was going up a hill. Like it just, it, I was never going to be able to keep up with them. So anyway, the, this cop pulled me over in grad school, and uh, when I stopped, I was like, "Oh my gosh, what could I possibly have done wrong?" And he's like, "You're supposed to be riding in the street." And I was like, mm, "It's not going to happen." And he, <laughs> and he was like, "Okay, well, this is your warning. I need your driver's license." And I was like, "What?" bicycle like what do you need my driver's license for he called in to see if i had any priors wow <laughs> I, know. I was like priors <laughs> okay i'm gonna say this gonna... there's a lot of people on bicycles who do have priors because it is yeah. the fair enough very, it's one of the co- forms of, co- of a commute that you can have that is still independent Yep. Of, a bike, of like a bus schedule. But at the same time, I like, I don't know of anybody who's had their license asked for, even well, by bike cops. Do you know luckily, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know what you mean. Because when I told other people that it happened there, they were like, what? Yeah. So it turns out, lucky for me, I had no priors. Um, but anyway, that was at a point in history where there were not a ton of bike lanes and there were not a lot of bike paths. But it has changed a lot since I lived here before. So I biked uh, two and a half miles from my house to my local brewery, Big Grove Brewery. And the whole time I either had a very clear bike path or um, I could be on the sidewalks and the the signage is much better than it used to be. And for the places where there were bike lanes, the cars were very very clearly respectful of the bike lanes, even when the bike lanes were sometimes put in places where the cars would want to be like people were excellent about it. That's um, awesome. So that's been great. Uh, so my, my real, uh, gold star though. So that was my honorable, honorable mention. <laughs> my real gold star, um, is actually something that I just saw in the, um, new pom pom quarterly, which is a a recipe. It's kind of, I guess it's not so much a recipe as it is a set of guidelines about making striped ice cubes what? with booze. So one of the best things about Pom Pom Quarterly is that every single issue, they have a recipe of some type. And generally they have a recipe for either um, a baked good or a 
uh, cocktail and sometimes both. Um, so in this one, what it is are, uh, what it is are, what, what it is, what it is, 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 <laughs> uh, striped ice cubes that as they melt in your, so first of all, they look beautiful, right? Yeah. And then as they melt in your drink, uh, they add extra flavor. And so the recipes they have are one that's for orange spritz. So it is Aperol or Campari, which I love the bitterness of both of those. Mm -hmm. um, orange and mango juice and soda water. Cool. And so you basically layer it in your ice cube tray so that you get stripes. Cool. And they also have one that they refer to as the gin and tonic cube. And so they recommend that you make a green juice that has um, fruits in it. And then the kale adds the green color to it, mm -hmm. which a lot of us, I think when we have a gin and tonic, even though the gin and tonic itself is not green, I still have this idea that, that it's, it's casted or the lime in it. Yeah, yeah. That, there's, there's something about it. Even though the drink is not green, I still think of gin and tonic as having like citrusy colors. Yeah. And so uh, their, their cube is the um, green juice, and they recommend a mix of apple, pineapple, and kale. And then um, the tonic water and uh, cucumber slices, which sounds Ooh. magnificent. Yeah. What is also, I'll say this, for people who don't want to blend or make their own juice, they can also just buy juice at Trader Joe's or Kroger's or wherever. Yep. And use that, even if you water it down just a little bit, if that helps with the freezeability of it, um, to make these cubes. I also think this is really great for non-boozy drinks. Exactly. Because I, there's, you can make one that has no booze in it. Like the booze actually would get in the way of it freezing properly. Exactly. That's when you said Aperol. And I was like, oh, but that still has a little alcohol. That's a harder one to freeze. Mm -hmm. Whenever someone's like, oh, boozy popsicles. I'm like, can we just have tasty popsicles? I just want tasty popsicles. I don't need everything to have, just surprise. I don't need booze and everything. But um, I love the idea of doing those striped ones for like, I think that'd be actually, sorry, not to go down there, but like a baby shower or a wedding shower or just like a really cool get together with your friends, like to serve um, sparkling water with that. Mm. You know, like some people have like sparkling water bars where you can like put mint or basil or orange slices and you can like really make really, really tasty sparkling water. What if you, it was as easy as an ice cube? Yeah. So my thinking right now, my, my riff on that is that I remember several years ago when um, fancy popsicles were all the jam. I made a popsicle that was a blueberry lavender popsicle. Mm. And of course, the beauty of that is that blueberries are delicious. They go really nicely with lavender. Yes. And then if you made um, a blueberry lavender ice cube and put it in lemonade. Oh, snap. You get this really – so blueberries and lemon are delicious together. Lavender and lemon are also delicious together and you get all of it kind of mixed together in this really pretty way and then as it melts nothing's ruined right like you aren't watering down the lemonade with just plain water you're adding extra things to it so as this heat wave has blown up in minneapolis it's been 90 degrees like for four days out of this week so far or sorry including this weekend sorry it's going to be as well 
I'm just like, I kind of can't wait to go get some ice cube trays and make this because I've been drinking sparkling water like crazy because it, for me, it tastes more refreshing on cold days. Yeah. And just straight water. And I drink a lot of water already, but like sparkling water is like my little treat, you know? So mm -hmm. I love the idea of having those other ideas and the lemonade. I, that's even a bigger treat. That's awesome. If you so mix lemonade never... with sparkling water, you get like even more hydration. I love it. It. Okay. Thank you. Super pumped. I like your gold star a Welcome lot. Welcome summer. Yay. Okay. <laughs> oh, very good. Ooh, that would also be really good in spritzers if people want to do that. If there, if we had to go down the alcoholic route, like you could do, you could do spritzers. You could do like a nice white wine spritzer, like half mm -hmm. white wine, half sparkling water, little ice cube. I take, I take it. Oh, so many ideas. The, the, but the striped ones are cool. That is very, very cool. I, like I am them. really excited to give that a try. <laughs> Take a photo of that. We're posting that. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I don't have much else to say. I think we've kind of covered the basis of, you know, all things craft for us. Um, but I am excited for more summer school series. I think we got some more people on tap we're excited about. And also just in general, if you guys have anybody that you think that is super worthy of a summer school session let us know we'd love to interview more people outside of our realm of who we know too so that's going to be a whole series we have up until august actually all the way to the end of august and because we don't go to school we can do what we want <laughs> no parents no rules um <laughs> yeah so definitely if any of you guys know anybody that you feel like um has an interesting or different view on their creative process or the craft that they do, whatever that craft might be, we would love to chat with them. Um, so let us know. You can find us on Instagram as Stitchcraft Sisters. Uh, you can also find us on Ravelry. Ravelry. Good Lord. <laughs> Beer works. Um, <laughs> so good. <laughs> Ravelry at, under the Stitchcraft podcast group, or uh, you can find me alone on Ravelry as Trouble City. Um, and then of course our website, which is stitchcraftsisters.com. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you next time. And also please, please, please send us your other summer treats. Now, the more I think about it, I'm like, Minnesota summer is too short. I need everybody's treats. I need everyone's <laughs> ideas for cold weather set or cold things on hot days. That's, that's an official, that's an official demand. I want everyone to send that stuff in too. <laughs> but all right, I digress. The beer's working. Um, all right, well, have a good rest of your uh, weekend, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.